0: Good morning, church. Don't worry, it looks a lot worse than it is. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. It's not that bad. It just looks bad. I had to make sure I said that right. We are in the book of Daniel and excited about the second half because it is dense with prophecy and a lot of interesting things to um, not only study but apply, see how it applies to us. Now, we're in chapter 7, and here's our slide we've been using. Daniel is in a foreign land. He's part of God's people, the nation of Israel, exiled. Babylon conquered them, brought them back into Babylon. That's where he has been living throughout the book in all the stories that we're reading. Now, I've titled this message, Split Screen History. And there's a reason for that. Daniel 7, 9, I put up here, it says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And I kept, I'm grabbing onto the word looked, because what you're going to see in the passage you're going to study today is there's two scenes going on. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched a show or a movie where that was part of the style, but I recall before I moved here, In California, my wife and I, where I was ministering, there was a show that we used to watch called 24, had Kiefer Sutherland in it, and it's like he's this agent fighting terrorists, and it had this ticking noise, tick, tock, tick, you know, and and it would always break off from the main screen to all these other screens. And sometimes you'd be watching it, and be like, all of a sudden, you know, the good guy's over here, and he's doing something, but then I see the terrorist over here, and he's doing something. There's multiple things going on, and you're doing this, you know, watching the screen. And that's what I want to kind of lay out there for you today that's going to happen as we look at this passage. There's two screens, two screens we're going to look at. And that verse that I just read is Daniel says, I looked, he's looking at a screen and he's telling you what he's seeing in that screen. There's a throne and the ancient of days is sitting down. Okay. That kind of sets the whole message up. But before I go any further, I'm going to give you something about prophecy, because the back half of this book is about prophecy. And I have a way of talking about prophecy. And I use this analogy of my of driving in the car with my boys to see this mountain, because prophecy always involves mountaintops or peaks and valleys. And we were driving once in Oregon, in the uh, state of oregon to we, we were on vacation we we're staying in this uh, cabin and i grabbed the boys josiah and ethan were uh grammar school And we're gonna go see Crater Lake. I got a picture of Crater Lake. It's a volcano that collapsed at the top, and there's a lake at the top. It used to be a volcano, it's dead now. There's an island in the middle, and there's lots of snow up there. This is summertime, and so the boys were excited because Southern California, you're not around snow a lot. We're gonna drive to see this mountain, drive up to the top, see the lake. So we're on our way, and as we're driving through these forests, I mean, Oregon's beautiful, there's these tall trees, and it's green everywhere, and it's just like all, these chair, like all these chairs were trees, you could just see through the middle of it, the road, and you're just going. And you know, young boys are like, how much farther is it, Dad? And we're trying to play games, and they're impatient, and we, we come around this one turn, and off over the trees, you can see it, you can see the mountain, and that's encouraging. We, we look at it. There it is. See, not much farther now because now we can see it. And as we're driving, we're getting closer and closer to the mountain. It's like, it's like helping with them. It's like bringing hope that we're almost there. It's in the trip will be over and we're going to get to enjoy the snow and be on top of the mountain. And we're getting closer and closer. But as we got close to this mountain and we're driving, suddenly the road, instead of going at it, starts to go this way around it. And the mountain starts to move like this. And we're like, it doesn't seem like it's heading towards it. And all of a sudden, as we came around, we saw there was another mountain and it was actually the one we're going to and it was farther away which then all the boys went you know it's like uh, there went the hope you know but that is how prophecy is Jesus or Daniel they talk about an event in the history and you see it and there it is it's a, it's a point a uh, time that we're heading towards and there's this big event and there it is we can see it and when you get to it you realize it's, there's like a partial fulfillment in it, but it's, 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 it's not the actual event. There's another one and you go past that one and you see the real one that he was actually prophesying about farther down the timeline road. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to come across that as we talk about prophecy in the back half of this book. And the other thing to keep in mind is it can be really hard to, in those moments see the vast distance between mountaintops. Valleys, when you look some mountains, they look like this, and they look fairly close, and then there's actually a lot of distance between those two mountains. And this is what happens in prophecy. Let me give you an example. In Isaiah 9, this is a verse you probably know, Isaiah 9:6. They're They're talking about the Messiah. When is he going to come? And and Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born. You know this verse, right? It's the Christmas verse. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. Well, he did come, but the government wasn't put on his shoulder. And so that's going to happen when he comes back a second time. The first time he came, he was just a child. And so you see in that one verse, those, that sentence can be divided. And right now there's 2,000 years, a 2,000-year valley between those two peaking tops, the child that came, the king, but when the government's given to him. Here's an even better one. This is in Luke chapter four. And it's, it's interesting to read this because he's in a synagogue and he goes up and they give him a scroll to read and he unrolls the scroll. It's a scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read it. Let me tell you what he reads. He's reading it. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. These are the words of Isaiah, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he read that and then he went and he sat down and when you're reading the gospel account, it says everybody in the room went like this and they're looking at him because then he says this, today upon that reading, that prophecy is fulfilled. He was saying, I'm fulfilling that prophecy right now. Isaiah said it. There it is. Way in history, Jesus comes. He's fulfilling the prophecy. But here's what he did not do. He didn't read the last line. If you actually go back to Isaiah and read the prophecy... That's found in in Isaiah 61. The last line says, and the day of vengeance of our God. You know why he didn't read it? Because that wasn't going to happen at that moment with Christ. It happens the next time he comes. What I'm trying to show you is when, when we get prophecy in Scripture, you have sentences. And sometimes one part of the sentence, we see it. There's the mountaintop, but there's a huge valley, and there's the second part. And sometimes it's hard to know. It's been 2,000 years between some of these sentences. Okay, you got that. That is going, I will come back to that more than once in the back half of the book. So we're going to look just now at Daniel 7 and see what's going to happen. And the the split screen history here, Um, let me see my next slide. I want to give you some context because what I'm about to read to you is a flashback. Every story I've given you in Daniel has been sequential. It's been chronological. He came in in chapter one as a teenager, captured into Babylon. We just finished the lion's den. He was an old man in that story. We've seen the whole life of him. And in the life of Daniel, do you know what, what we've seen? Sometimes God gave dreams. He gave a dream to Nebuchadnezzar and it bothered him. Daniel came, he interpreted the dream. He gave another dream. Daniel interpreted it. And he wrote it all down. But now when we get to chapter 7, he's at the end, and as he's writing about his life, he takes us backwards in time to give us some of the dreams that he had himself. And this is a flashback. It's a flashback. What we're about to look at actually happened in real time between chapters 4 and 5. Okay? We know this because of what it says. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, he's taking us back. So that's the first year of of uh, when Daniel comes in, the king of Babylon. Well, the king of Babylon doesn't exist in the timeline we've been studying. He died, and the Medes and the Persians took over. You remember that? And we had Darius, this the king of Babylon. So he's taking us back in time. See that? So he's taking us back in time, and it's a flashback. And then what else do I have? What's the next thing there? And that it's a dream because he says, "I saw a dream and visions." Of his head as he lay in his bed. So he's laying in his bed and he's seeing these visions. It's a dream that he's having. He's going to share it with us. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of, of the matter. Now the next verse gives you not the context of Daniel, but the context of the historical setting of what we're about to look at. He says, And I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts come up out of the sea. Now, let me just show you the next slide. It's the his, history setting a t- context. There's the great sea. Now, in the Bible, they talk about four, there's four kinds of seas that are mentioned. There's the Dead Sea. There's the Sea of Galilee, for example. The great sea is the Mediterranean. And so in the dream, he's standing there before the great sea, the Mediterranean. And the word sea is symbolic of mankind, a sea of humanity. And he's going to see something come up out of it. And then he talks about the four winds. So the great sea describes humanity. The four winds describes earth within scripture and prophecy. You have the four corners of the earth, the four winds that blow across. And what you have is, this is what he's seeing. He's seeing these winds blowing. Now, have you ever been out on the water. If you're here in Guam, maybe you've gone out on the ocean. And whenever you're out on the water and there's fierce winds blowing, the waves are higher. Waves make things churn up and they, 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 they cause turmoil. And so the analogy that he's, he's giving you here is the stirring up of the water by the winds describes, and this is what he's about to give you, political strife, uprisings, wars, bloodshed. This is what Daniel's seeing. This is what God's going to give him. He's looking at the sea of humanity, and these beasts are rising up. Why are they rising up? Because of the forces of mankind that are going on that cause turmoil and political upheavals and bloodshed and wars. These different kingdoms are going to come. That's the setting. Now, let me take you back to this split screen thing. Can I show you the next slide? We got two screens. In this chapter, you're going to get two screens. And right now, he's focusing you in on the bottom screen. He said, look at the bottom screen. Remember my analogy? I'm watching the 24, and it's like, there's the good guy. And oh, there's the the terrorist, and there's lots going on. And right now, what he's going to talk about is this bottom screen, and it's the earth, and it's the kingdoms of man, specifically Gentile kingdoms, not not the Jewish nation or, or, or the Jewish people; it's the Gentile kingdoms. Okay, and this is what he has to say. And the four and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of man was given to it. Now, just as a reminder. God sits on his throne in heaven and sees all of it, all of history. That's why he can come to Daniel and say, this is what's going to happen because I can see it all. Not only can he see it all, but he controls it all. He's sovereign. He's sovereign over it all. And he comes and says, it's going to happen. And he's giving him the first. And it's a beast that's rising up out of the sea. And he says, it's like a lion that has wings. Now, a lion with wings was the symbol of Babylon. Even like today, the eagle is the symbol of the U.S. Uh, England is the lion. Russia is a bear. Animals represent nations and kingdoms. And he's using that analogy, but this is what he sees. This beast coming up, he describes it, a lion with wings. And these things represent <clears throat> aspects, right? The wings, they're sw- Babylon was swift in conquest. A lion, fierce fast. And he, he's giving us this. Now, for us, we've gone through, through the, these stories so much, we, we kind of know Babylon, and we know how, its history a little bit from all the stories we've been talking about, right? Do you remember the story about Nebuchadnezzar? Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the power, the, the, the king of the, the most powerful nation on the planet. Whatever he said happened, do this, they did it. That's how much power he had. And do you recall he lifted himself up with pride? I'm a pretty, pretty big guy. I got a lot of power. And he says some things like, I'm the one that makes it happen. I'm giving you the short version here. And God sees it. And what did God do? You remember this? He, he, he struck him down. In the, in the story, he becomes like an animal. He loses his mind instead of this, this powerful leader, he becomes like a, an animal. He's crawling on his hands and knees. His fingernails grow out. His hair grows out. He doesn't take baths. He eats off the grass, off the ground. And the, the, the servants are like, what happened to the king? And, he, and God leaves him like that until he humbles himself. And when he humbles himself, God gives him his mind back. He stands up off of those four like he was an animal, and his mind is given back to him, and he stands back upright as a man. And and what he says, what comes out of his mouth is not pride anymore. He says, I know who the real God is. It's him that makes things happen, not me. Do you remember that story? Because look, this is part of the, the prophecy here where he says the first beast was this line with, with eagle's wings. And I looked and the wings are plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. See how it, it just dovetails with what we know from the first part of Daniel. That's the first beast. We're watching that screen and then suddenly It changes. We know the story, how the Medes and the Persians came and took over and conquered Babylon. But he's, he's watching this, and, and he says, And behold another beast, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. Now, if you recall some of the history I gave you in, in the account of the fall of Babylon but they cut the water supply off, snuck under the great wall. The wall was so massive, they could race chariots side by side across it. And they had provisions for like forever. They, They were like, go ahead, bring it on. The Medes and the Persians though, snuck in at night and destroyed them. And Babylon falls. And now we've got a new superpower. That's what Daniel's witnessed. The first one rose up. The next one rises up after it, the next superpower. And it's the Medes and the Persians. Now, He sees it as a bear. Bears are known for having fierce appetites. They eat and eat and eat, right? They fatten themselves up. And one writer was writing about uh, this aspect. He said, this second kingdom was never satisfied until she reached from the Indus River on the east to to the land of Egypt in the Aegean Sea on the west and he's describing the vast size that the Medes and the Persians conquered. Now, 13 times in the Bible, we see the bear, a bear. And every time we see a bear in the Bible, it's always in the context of violence and ferocity. And the Medes and the Persians were known for this. But do you notice what else we see in, in, the, in the dream? The bear has three ribs in its mouth. Well, that's interesting because historians tell us that the Medes and the Persians conquered three major powers, Lydia, Babylon, which we know, and Egypt. Just kind of fitting. See, God sees that and he tells Daniel and it happens. The three ribs represent the three major powers that that they conquered. But then at the end, he says something else, right? He says, it had three ribs. It was told, arise, devour much. And it did, but there's one part here where it says it was raised up on one side. Now, what does that mean? Now, the thought here is that the Medes and the Persians, when they started out, were, were fairly equal in, in dominance. It's like, a, like two powers that joined up to conquer Babylon and others. But over time, one became weaker than the other, and the, and the other became the more dominant one. Towards the end, there wasn't this equality, but the Medes were weak and the Persians were strong. And so it might be that when he says raised up on one side, the emphasis is that. But we have the winged lion, we have the bear, he's watching it, and now a new beast is going to come up out of the sea. The third beast, which is going to be Greece, is this leopard-like creature. He says, after this, I looked, in verse 6, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings... Of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now, <clears throat> I'm gonna give you a little bit here about this, but there's, a, there's gonna be more said about Greece and, and its leader, Alexander the Great. But what? first of all, the leopard was the symbolic uh, uh, animal of Greece, but you look at this, it's got four wings and four heads. So Daniel's giving us something, and, and the wings. Um, point to the the rapidity uh, at which it conquered. Alexander the Great had conquered the known world by 30 years old. And he died young. He died a young leader. But it was amazing how he had conquered so much in such a quick amount of time. Now, I often talk about how I love history. I read history. I remember watching documentaries on Alexander the Great. And there's one about his battle with the Medes and the Persians. So remember, the Medes and the Persians are the power, and they're going to come up against Alexander the Great now, which is the next beast that's rising up. Well, in that battle, this is historical. Alexander the Great had 35,000 soldiers. The Medes and the Persians, they estimate, had somewhere between 200,000 and 300,000 soldiers. That was the, the, the force size. And Alexander the Great was a tactical genius. You can look it up how he defeated them, but, but he beat them. He beat a far superior numerical army, and yet he's going to die early. And you look at that, the, the wings tell us something, but what do the heads tell us? Four heads. Well, if you know your history, when he died young, they're a little bit unprepared. And the way they solved secession was the four top generals underneath him took over all his kingdoms. They divided all that he had conquered into four regions, and each one of the generals got one. So it's just fascinating how history f- unfolded and fits with Scripture. Now, God's giving this to Daniel long before these things ever happened. And that's why people look at Daniel and go, oh, somebody wrote this book after it all happened. It's too accurate. But it wasn't. This was accurate because God gave it to him. Now, those are the first three beasts. And we're going to get something totally different with the fourth one. Let me read it to you first. He says, because let me show you the picture. Can I show you? Because you look at that and you go, what what kind of animal is that? What kind of animal is that? Well, let me read it first. It says, after this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, exceedingly strong, it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in broken pieces. It stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. So you see, when he says it was different, one of the things he's giving you is, I don't know an animal that I could give you symbolic of what I see. It, it doesn't fit. Uh, this looks different to me. And he says that. It's different. And it had ten horns. And then he says this. I considered the horns... And behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, what nation is this? Right? Here's where I have to take you back to my peaks and valleys, to to the mountain, because you're looking at a mountain, you're going, whoa, there it is. And the the, the nation that, the next superpower that rose up was Rome. Rome was the next world power that conquered everything. They they had iron legions. They make reference to iron. They make reference to its ferocity and, and cruelty. The Romans are the ones that, invented crucifixion. They were known for their cruelty. And yet what we're going to find in Rome is that there's a fulfillment in Rome, but yet we get there and we go, there it is. And then we're going to move around Rome and go, wait a minute, there's something else here. There's another mountain that he's actually talking about that's farther down the, the timeline of history. And that other nation is going to be the final Gentile nation. One world superpower. And the leader of that is known as the Antichrist. And in this, he's making reference to this, this leader, this leader who spoke great things. He's making that reference. So let me hold for a second and go to the next slide. Because here we have our beasts. What, what do these describe? And, and, and you notice the, the fourth beast looks a little different. That's because people, artists try to come up with what he's saying. But the, the, the thing is, they always have the horns. There's ten horns. The ten horns, each of these represent a nation. We've already seen that in the first three. So this last one represents a nation. We think there's, there's fulfillment in Rome, but there's something else off in the horizon yet. And these ten horns represent ten different kingdoms that unite together to form. Like the Medes and the Persians joined together, and they became a superpower. There will be ten nations that come together to form a superpower, And the leader of that will be this Antichrist figure. Now, I want to show you a comparison because we've already talked about the statue back in the first part of Daniel and show you the similarities and yet differences. This on the left is the statue that was the dream given to King Nebuchadnezzar. And do you remember? The, the the interpretation was there because, because he has the dream. It terrifies him. And then Daniel comes and says, this is what the dream means. And he says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And then he goes and he, he goes down the statue and he talks about what all the other parts are. So just, I want you to capture this, because God gave to a king, the most powerful king, a vision of the future, and the way he gave it to him was to show him strength of empires by by a statue and different metals. The gold, gold is the most, it's the strongest, and in that he was saying, you are a superpower, and there will not be another one quite like you. He had ultimate power Nebuchadnezzar did but the kingdom after him the arm and the chest the Medes and the Persians these two entities that come together it took two of them they're not quite like the first that was gold it took two of them and every time you go down the statue they get a little bit weaker the kingdoms these one world kingdoms and you get to the very end and there's the feet and it has and it's a mixture of metal and clay i mean that's way weaker than gold it's a mixture of metal and clay right But on the right side, God's giving the future, not to a king, but to his man, Daniel. And the way he is describing the future are all of these Gentile kingdoms that are chaotic and ferocious and fighting and and killing and bloodthirsty. That's how God views them. He's, I'm going to tell you how I see them. I see them as wild animals striving for control, lashing out. What a difference between the two and how he depicts them. Now, there's one of the things you need to see, and you can see on that slide, it says divided Europe. That's what the thought is. The thought is because you have Rome and you have uh, 10 nations that come together, and there's a centrality there in Rome, and some of this comes out of Revelation, because we see the Antichrist there. We see the Antichrist rise up and we see him come to power. And he is this great orator and he draws people to him. And what's important about all that is that the Antichrist, we're going to see this in a couple chapters later, is one of his key, the key things about him is that he makes this peace agreement with Israel and Israel has a place at the end and I can't get too far ahead of myself but but we are we're going to get to some of this as we go through Daniel but I want you to notice something on this notice the left corner what do you see you see this it looks like a meteor right and it's it's like flying through the air it's going to smash and I want you to remember that picture because I'm going to come back to that because that's significant it's part of the dream it's part of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw but this is all this going on, bottom screen. Remember, there's two screens. Suddenly, Daniel goes, Stop paying attention to the bottom screen and look at the top screen, right? And he goes in verse 9, the Ancient of Days. Now, just, he's looking at the, the top screen, and this is what he sees. I looked. Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I mean, we're looking at this, the chaos of man's kingdoms And suddenly he draws our attention to the top screen, to to heaven. And he's describing what he sees. So you get to see two screens working now. And the bottom screen, that's what we were looking at, earth and the kingdoms of men. And suddenly Daniel looks up and there's the Ancient of Days, the one place in Scripture where that title's used. He's talking about the Heavenly Father. Ancient of Days. All the days that we know about in the history of time, you lay that beside him, he's ancient compared to that. It's talking about his eternality, his pre existence to known human history. He is the ancient of days. And honestly, in this little two verses, there is a dense amount of theology about God the Father. And I just put them up there. You see his majesty. There's a throne. It says the throne is placed and he sits in it. He is the king. There's majesty, he's eternal. He's pure. He is not a king that struggles with making wrong decisions. Every decision he makes is right and is just. There's no impurity about him. The description it gives, where it says hair of his head like pure wool, clothing like white as snow, these are descriptions of holiness and purity, this king. And he has authority authority to judge. He sits on his throne and, and it uses the word fire. Fire is, is, is symbolic of, of judgment because it burns away impurity and only leaves that which is righteous and pure. And there's going to be a judgment. The books are open. They're going to look in the books and they're going to see what is written about you and men and their kingdoms. Now, I, one of the odd things I thought is it said that his throne had wheels. I thought that was kind of, I hadn't never seen that. And I was reading one writer. He says, what does that mean? Maybe it means that he can zoom around to judge everyone. I don't know, <laughs> but this is what he's giving us This is what Daniel's seeing. And I put there deity because make no mistake about it. He is God. I mean, the description here of thousands of thousands before him, Right. And then 10,000 times 10,000 stand before him. This is a king with a vast host before him. You know, when you study about angels, we don't know how many angels God made. I mean, the, the term that's used is myriad upon myriad. Myriads like this uncountable number, an uncountable number of uncountable numbers. That's how many angels there are. And there he is on his throne, and they're all before him. And they worship, and they serve him, and they do what his will is. And sometimes we see him throwing angels into, the, into man's timeline to accomplish his, his tasks and his purposes. But just here, look at this. We got, now there's two things going on. I go back to my TV show and I'm like, well, that guy this over here and that over there. There's a lot going on. And this is Daniel and he's going, oh, look at all these beasts coming out. Whoa, but wait a minute, the Ancient of Days. And then suddenly he takes our mind and he focuses back to the bottom screen. And now he's going to talk about this Antichrist figure. As he picks up in verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Now, I remember, before we went up to the top screen, one of the last things he said was there was this horn that rose up and it had the eyes like a man and a mouth speaking great things. And then he took us to the top screen in verse 11. He says, I looked in because of the sound of the great words. So it's like he was paying attention to the top screen, and then the bottom screen is coming these great words of of, of of the horn. Now, the horn represents this leader, this Antichrist. He rises up, and the way the Bible describes it, it's like he he um, takes out three of the horns, three of the nations that are part of this, this ten-nation alliance. But he we're looking at the top screen, and then we hear the boasting, the great things coming, and so our attention goes back to him, to the bottom screen, this last Gentile king. And it says, I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire, and for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And, and so what he's saying there is, he's, what we're seeing in this bottom screen now is an end a Gentile kingdom dominance, and an into it. The chaos will have an end. The, pa- the power struggles, the backstabbing, the wars, the bloodshed will come to an end because the last Gentile king, he looks at him and he sees him defeated and the, that beast is killed and as you're caught up in what's happening in that bottom screen, suddenly he draws us back to the top screen again. And we look in verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Now, the word son of man refers to Jesus Christ. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Now, it says there's the ancient of days. Remember, he's on that fiery throne with wheels. Remember? And it says, here comes someone else, the Son of Man. This is Jesus Christ, and he's presented to that Ancient of Days. And then the Ancient of Days gives to him, and I'm going to show you what He gives him, but I, I point out, here's theology again, and that is that there's an order within the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the order. And it's not ordered that way because one is more power than the other. We see in Scripture they are all equal equal in every way. But there's an order there. And the, and the Ancient of Days, through his plan, he, here comes the Son of Man, his Son, Jesus Christ. And he is going to give to his Son all these things. And that shows you the, 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 the majesty of that Ancient of Days, because you probably missed it. But all of those beasts that came up out of the sea, It used the same terminology. It says, and to that beast, he gave them dominion. And to that beast, he gave them. And there's a way in which it's like, Alexander the Great, you conquered everything. No, God gave it to you. And in that same way, there's the Ancient of Days, and he's looking at at his son, and this is what he's going to give him. It says, he gives him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Now, I just read it all like that, and I put it up there so you can see it. The last kingdom is a final world kingdom. Alexander the Great, yeah, he conquered a lot. So did the Babylonians, right? Those kingdoms, those beasts, but they never got as far as Antarctica. Never came across the ocean to North America. And that final kingdom is a global kingdom. Its reach goes all over the world. And it's for God's glory. These other beasts that rose up did not seek the glory of God. In fact, they struggled with pride, like the story of Nebuchadnezzar. This kingdom is a kingdom that exists for the glory of God. And it's united. Oh, you skipped it. Hold on. It's united. That is... is, That's a problem with lots of nations and kingdoms. The infighting, even if we look at our own nation, there's a lot of infighting between the politicians. That will not be the case. In Christ's kingdom, it is a united kingdom. And in this, he's talking about all peoples, all languages. It's diverse, yet unified. The problem with the world today is we have diversity, but that diversity often causes us to fracture. And attacks unity and says, "Identify in your single group. That's your greatest identity." Well, in the end, our greatest identity is Jesus Christ, and it melts away every other identity, and it helps create unity, total territory. It's eternal and it is undefeated. You did you recognize that you kept having these kingdoms rise up, and they were always defeated, always defeated, always defeated. Christ is not now caveat, that last beast in this particular passage we read wasn't defeated. And many people think that Rome is the identity of that last beast, and it actually was never defeated. It fell apart from the inside. And so the thought is, as you go through scripture and you try to connect dots, that that last final Gentile kingdom is just a resurrected roman empire that's why they 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 locate it in europe like it is but what we do know for certainty is when it when that kingdom does get here christ and I go to my last slide will break it apart because see that last kingdom actually goes back to the statue that was shown to nebuchadnezzar there's the head of gold. That's Babylon. You go all the way down Medes and Persians. You got Alexander the Great, Greece, Rome, or a future united 10 kingdom nation. But there's that rock. And when you read that prophecy, it says that that stone was cut out of a mountain not made by man. And it crashes into the feet of this representation of all superpower Gentile kingdoms and breaks it apart. In fact, I want to read it to you. Daniel chapter 2, he's giving the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar and he said, And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is true. He points to that stone, and he says that stone is going to be Jesus Christ, the king that will lead the final one world kingdom. It will break apart. What he put before you as the re- representation of all superpower Gentile kingdoms. Now did I show you the slide with the statue and the animals side by side? Did I? Okay. So make sure I did that one. Because I'm 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 at the end right now. And at the end <clears throat> I'm gonna ask you what is the purpose of all this? And the answer is it has to do with with what it does to to your heart and your hope because my 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 analogy is in the next slide in the next slide i told you already in a sermon ago that for my 25 year wedding anniversary i planned ahead and took my wife away on a cruise to alaska and that's a picture of us on the boat right there we're on the boat and I show you that because when we were leading up to the point where we were gonna go on this trip, I can remember there being some times where I was really stressed out, and there was a lot going on, and sometimes my heart sank. I wasn't sure how to handle situations. Usually I'm just exhausted, and you know what I would do? I found myself, I would sit on the couch, and I would get my laptop, and I'd prop it up, and I would go, cruise to Alaska. And I would look at it and go, ah, that's coming. I can endure this right now because I got this cool thing that's coming. And it's like you look forward to that. And it puts this, it re-energizes you. It gives you this endurance. It gives you this, uh, that's a hope. But here's the thing, that kind of hope doesn't last very long because the trip's over. And now if there was no trip, I'd be going, now what do I do? Pop up and go. Well, maybe for the fifty-year anniversary. I got twenty, twenty-six year, twenty-four years now. How do you endure? And the and the truth is this: you should sit down and open this up, and you look at not a cruise that's temporary, but eternity. And you look at that top screen, and you go, you know. I get so focused on the bottom screen so much. Life is so chaotic and politics is so stressful. And then you open up and you say, I need to take a peek at that top screen. And see God, and and this is what happened to Daniel. We haven't got to it yet, but there's a point in Daniel where he is so stressed out. He is a conquered people. And he knows his God is the God of the universe. And he's just kind of going up to God. He's like, have you forgotten about us? He's on the couch going, and there's no cruises. And God says, I'm going to give you hope. And he, and he gives him this prophecy of what's to come. And he says, look at that. Look at the top screen. And he shows him that dream. And he shows him this dream. And he says, there is a king coming who will bring you out of all this. And he is a righteous king. And he will make right all that is wrong. And it should go back into the heart of his people and encourage them. Heavenly Father, We thank you for Daniel. Thank you for the story. We thank you that right here in this moment, we can be encouraged because we, we, all of us have something stressful and it shouldn't be that we look forward to a vacation to be our hope. Our hope is to be in Christ what he has done and to turn our eyes towards that top screen to know there's the ancient of days sitting there and that the son of man will approach him and that you will give him dominion over this earth and he will make things right. And we could put our hope in that. Just like I I read at the very end of of that chapter 2 passage, he said, it is sure. It will happen. And We don't have to have doubt and we can walk through hard times. Daniel survived Babylon. He'd survived many hard things. And yes, he was stressed out, but you helped him, God, by giving him a view of the future. And may we Look at that future because Daniel wrote it down for us and other writers of the Bible wrote it down. What's going to happen at the end? And I pray that we could be encouraged and walk out into the the world and be a light for you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and we'll finish worshiping together.